The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host, J.P. John Paz. With me today is the managing editor over at Fightful. He is a top-level MMA and pro wrestling journalist. He is SRS1, Sean Ross Sapp. What's going on, Sean? We can use that, that journalist thing with air quotes if you want. I mean, I consider myself less of one with each passing day, but you know what? It's a, it's a good job to have. I was telling you off the air, there's nothing I'd rather do. I love what I do. It's it's a lot of fun. Why not the journalist, though? It seems like you're more of a journalist than some of the guys that say they're journalists. I, I don't know. I think because, well, these days, and it shouldn't, it has like almost like a pretentious connotation to it. Like if somebody says, I'm a journalist, people look upon that negatively and like ultimately... I talk about pro wrestling. I get some scoops and then I sell some dick pills on Monday nights during my podcast. <laughs> and like, it's not traditionally, this is not what I went to school for. It's what I'm doing right, right now. Um, I, there's a lot of things that I took from that, that, that helped contribute to this. I just never call myself that because then if anybody does and they say, Oh, well, you're not acting like a professional journalist. I don't have to like, we, we do things our own way. And, you can disseminate that information however you so choose whenever you get that, as long as it's honest. Yeah. There are some journalistic principles that I follow for sure, but I, I don't consider myself like a, quote, journalist. I even uh, like used to put it in quotation marks on my bio, and then Twitter stopped letting that happen. So. <laughs> They don't want people doing that, I guess. No, they, they don't want, I think it was the quotation mark specifically. They didn't want that on there. I don't know what the, what the gimmick is with Twitter, but, but yeah, I, I don't want to paint myself in, in that when some of the work that I'm doing, I mean, it's like, for example, like if I'm reviewing raw or SmackDown, I don't consider that journalism. I'm just in front of a camera media member. Sure. That, that would work, but I don't know. Uh, I mean, I don't mind it if other people call me that. I just never call myself one anymore. You think that wrestling journalists, quote unquote, are getting <laughs> a, a bad rap nowadays? Because it seems like a lot of stuff putting out there is complete, you know, 
BS sometimes, and sometimes it seems a little self-serving. So do you think that they're getting, uh, you know, a little bit of, um, I don't know, not negativity, but a, a little bit of, of that? Actually less than, than it was when I started, because when I started, it was, I remember it was January 4th, 2010, because it was the, mm. the Monday Night War, the, the rebirth of the Monday Night War, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels. Yep. I'd pitched a column to Bill Apter, who was somebody I grew up reading and just admired his work uh, when I was younger. I kept up through the magazines, but I didn't get into like breaking news until maybe I wrote my first story in 2014. It was by happenstance, but I didn't really start getting into breaking news until like 2017. And I had done some really big features and stuff, but really, unless you were Mike Johnson or, Dave Meltzer, nobody wanted to believe you or trust that you had sources. Ryan Satin emerged, which he's, he's kind of out of that game effectively now. Wade Keller was no longer really breaking news. It was more like analysis and and his his personal personal views on things. So unless you were one of those two people, like I felt like it was an uphill battle to get people to even believe that you had sources, let alone that you had actual news. Now there's like Alex McCarthy and Louis Dangor and Gary Cassidy, like this whole explosion of European journalists, honest to God journalists and media members that are breaking news and developing sources. And to me, I think the more the merrier, like it shouldn't all come from one source, not disrespecting Dave or Mike, but based on the sources, the relationships, the friendships, the business relationships that we, we cultivate and manage the news, whether you intend it to or not, might end up getting slanted. Like you might hear that somebody got buried backstage or somebody's got heat, but you might not necessarily hear their side of things if you you don't have the ability to reach out to them. And that's why I think the more the merrier, the more truth that you can get in a very different kind of business. You can't cover it like sports. You can't cover it like entertainment because it is sports entertainment. It is both. You have to take bring bring angles to both of those. So I, I think it's in a better space now than it's ever been. And the ability to get information is easier now than it ever was. I don't think I could have done what Dave Meltzer did in the nineties and the eighties. Like I, I could, the internet has helped me so much develop these, these relationships and all that. So I think it's in a much better place right now. And we, we've got some people that have been around for a long time and got a lot of new people emerging too. Do you have any sort of relationship with Meltzer and the Mike Johnsons of the world? Do you guys you know, talk at all, converse? Is there any sort of relationship there? Mike, no. I, I think I greeted him once. It was after he did the CM Punk interview at, I think it was All Out maybe, or right, whatever the StarCast was. It was All Out. And I just introduced, and he's like, oh, hi. And that's really the extent of it. I'll message him if... I need like clarity on something or if I would, if I there, if credit went overlooked or something, I'll, I'll mention that uh, Dave, I, man, I greatly respect Dave. I didn't know what, what the newsletter was or anything until like 10 years ago when I started writing, that's when I found out what that was. I was like a wrestle zone, Lords of pain, yeah. no DQ. <laughs> I, I would read all those sites. And I had no idea about media literacy until I took a class on media literacy. And I was like, oh, I really need to be reading the guy who actually reports that news. That way, nothing gets lost in translation. And uh, I feel like I, I've met Dave a couple times. Like, we've said hi. And 
Uh, we, we've had some back and forth a couple times, like just there was one time that was like minimally contentious. I was just like, Hey, I saw you say this. What do you mean by this? And he clarified it and everything was good. And I respect Dave immensely. I think that if Dave wasn't doing or didn't do what he's done, I couldn't do what I've done or at least to the level that I am. So I got a lot of respect for Dave Meltzer and um, he's always been nice when I see him in person and, uh, he said some very nice things after uh, I did a spot with AEW where I donated my hair to charity, and I really appreciated that. So yeah, I think I think an awful lot of Dave. That was pretty very uh, very cool of you to do that. Very uh, very nice, but also, <laughs> man, you, you you missing that hair? I don't miss it at all. It was cool of AEW to let us do it. Originally, we were going to have Brutus the Barber Beefcake do it, and we thought, oh, nice. This we were, and he was down. He was completely down. I thought he was going to carny us. And be like five thousand dollars, brother, brother, or something yeah. like that. But he didn't at all. He and I believe it's his wife were so excited about it. Um, it's a good thing that we ended up doing the AEW thing because we couldn't have done it because of COVID by the time that we had it planned. But the AEW situation came about, and they had a gimmick where they were cutting people's hair off, and it was it was so it made me so happy because. We were able to raise a lot more donations because of that, because they were a television entity. We were able to raise a whole lot of people that, that were willing to grow out their hair, but I don't miss it a one bit. I don't miss rolling it up in the car window when I'm driving. I don't miss like it getting stuck on stuff. I don't miss even having to do it. Like I don't miss that hair one bit. I do miss what it stood for, but th that's about it. Back to Dave, just for a second. Is sure. there any sort of, like you said, it may be contentious at one point for whatever reason. Is there any like sort of thing where it's like, oh, this new up and comer, he's kind of taking my, my, you know, my stories here. And he, like the guys are now kind of going to him more. Is there any of that? Cause it seems like you are uh, kind of developing a very big fan base with Fightful and just you yourself seem like you developed, but you also means you're developing trust from the wrestlers and that might take away from some of his guys. I mean, I think that Dave, if he never broke another story in his uh, for the rest of his life, he would have just such a still a vast audience. And hey, by all means, please, Dave, don't break any more stories. I would, I would love that. <laughs> I love that. But um, he he also like for his analysis and him being such a great historian, which I am not a historian. I cannot do like the, the obituaries that Dave does. My God, they're so incredible. They're so good. I could never do that because I don't have that, that deep history. I never got the impression that it was, it was like, Oh, well this new guy is coming along or anything like that. I never got that, that type of impression from Dave at all. In fact, most of the, the F4W staff has been like super, super cool to me. Um, I met Brian Alvarez once, just said hi. Um, Brian Rose used to work for us at Fightful. Josh Nason is so great. Denise actually works for F4W and Fightful. So there's there's a lot of great people there. I never really got that. And I now that I even think about it, I can't remember what led to me like saying, hey, we okay here? Because what's going on when, when I messaged him once? But I... I, it might have just been, and this is me with a hunch, not me putting words in his mouth, him being like, okay, who who the hell is this new guy? Are his sources real? Because there have been a whole lot of frauds. I mean, even even in recent years where I say that the that the credibility is is higher for more people, 
there have been a lot of frauds that have come through and pretended that they had sources or had like one story and then just made up stuff for months after. And I'll do respect to Dave. He ain't camping. He ain't going to camp out on like fightful or our front page and make sure that every single thing that we post is a okay. He's got his own stuff to do. He's he's a busy man. So I would, I would imagine it was just something like that. Like, well, maybe one of his sources told him something different and it's wrestling can be a very subjective type of business in that sense. I don't think it was anything malicious like that. There was, I forget the, the site, but man, they were running some stories that people were literally just making up, emailing them. And you can tell they were totally, oh, man, was it oh, ringside? Yeah. I don't even know if it was them. I don't even want to say it, but they were putting up fake stories and you're like, come on. Like there was no fact checking, nothing going on. Right. I mean, sometimes you get that, you get those fraudulent guys putting up phony stuff. Oh, there were, there was one. I, I've never told this story publicly, but there were, there was a person who was able to get a hold of um, inactive verified accounts. So it, these verified accounts wouldn't be used for like maybe a year, year and a half. And these, this person was able to get a hold of them. I don't know in, in what capacity, but it was um, somebody who would get a hold of them and then pretend they worked for WWE. There are still stories up that you can find from tribute to the troops a couple years ago where one of the accounts got taken down because this person also had found a way to follow a lot of people that were in the company on Instagram. And there would be pictures that were posted like backstage from tribute to the troops from staff members or something, not meaning anything by it. Just like, Oh, it's great to support these troops, yada, yada. And they would post them as like their own. And they got a hold of several of them and they would often try to feed me fake news. But I, you know, they would say that they've been with the company for 10 years. I know people who have been with the company for 15, 20 years. And if they don't know who you are, they, you're not there. Usually yeah. you would think, oh, well, it's just as easy as taking news from a verified account. If they, if they're saying it, it must be true. Not necessarily, but I'll, I'll tell you the funny thing, how they ended up unraveling and getting figured out. They got the account of some woman who was on like, like a, I don't want to say a Jersey Shore knockoff, but a very like a show like that, right? Right. It was right. a cast member, and the the account had been inactive. Well, as it turns out, one of that woman's cast members or ca co castmates was a big wrestling fan, and she was like, "This isn't you. <laughs> like, this isn't the woman that I was on on that show with. This is her account, but that ain't her." So it kind of got figured out among some of us in the media, but. There was, they tried for a very long time to feed some information. And if you feed me two or three things and I check and they're, they're not true, then you're dead to it. I, I, I'm not running with anything that you say, like, it, especially when you're presenting it as fact. But that's, that's the, the closest I've got to somebody feeding that information. And I know that that account fed some information to one of those people who were running fake news all the time. I know because I saw the same consistencies in what I was being told and a couple of the same things, but I was fortunate enough or at least smart enough to, to ask people in the company and they're like, no, that's ridiculous. And you do have to pick and choose. Cause if I ask my sources too many things that are absolutely ridiculous, I'm sure they're going to be like, piss off, dude, you're wasting my time here. Yeah, like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was a pretty wild one. That was a couple years ago though. And uh I haven't seen them reemerge, but that was one of those situations I had to hit up WWE and be like, Hey, 
pretty sure this person's faking. And uh, they're, they're very happy to get rid of fake accounts like that. Oh, I could see that big time. Yeah. With you, do you double double source, triple source? Is that how you kind of make sure it's actually factually correct? A minimum of double sourcing there, there, especially for things that I can put people on the record about. So if somebody comes along and they say, oh, well, this is this is what really happened backstage. I can't just run that. If it's about that person and they're willing to go on the record, like, for example, after the Saudi Arabia thing, um, there, there were rumors that Seth Rollins had done a big speech or something like that. A wrestler reached out to me and they said, this didn't happen. I just reached out to Seth straight up and I was like, hey, did this happen? And he's like, no, it didn't happen. This is what I'm saying. And I want this on the record. I would not have to double source that. That's his specific words, his quote. Um, if, if, it's a, if it's a direct quote from a wrestler on the record, I can run it as Seth Rollins says, as opposed to here's a backstage, backstage story, backstage news. So there, there are definitely some instances where uh, I, I'm able to not use double sourcing, but you've got to have on the record and you've got, it can't be an anonymous source, in my opinion. Got to be able to to shore that up. That way, that way nobody can say Fightful made this up. Right. With Saudi Arabia, I feel like there was like two different stories out there, and you know, no one knew what was going on. Right. I mean that that was a crazy, crazy time in the company. It was, and I was getting like a different vibe from different type of people, like the agents and the staff. They were downplaying it. They're like, ah, "Well, we're getting fed good, and we're we're sitting around waiting." And then wrestlers are like, this sucks. Can you please help us find out what's going on? And I'm like, man, that's something to be tasked with right there. And in the in the months and years that have followed, obviously people are getting more open about talking about it and how much it sucked and all that. But um, yeah, uh, I, I was surprised they went back. I'll say that. I was very surprised they went back, but some people didn't. Yeah, they were outright refused, right? They just didn't want to. They didn't want to go back. Yeah, they outright refused. Uh, they even though they were getting a good payday, they just didn't want to go back. They didn't feel safe going back, or they didn't think it was worth the trouble. I mean, Jericho has been very outspoken about that too. Man, Vince to me, to, right? He's just one of those guys that's just does some things you don't expect. Like you don't expect him to go back after that. He's like, no, I don't care. <laughs> I also didn't expect him to look at Rob Gronkowski and be like. I'm tired of waiting on you to do this spot. Here's how you do it. It's really easy. And then jump off a thing. When I heard that story, I was like, yep. Okay. Well, a month ago I was hearing that he was, he was going at it with the crown prince and all this stuff, but it doesn't like, I, how can you be surprised by anything at this point? Like, how can you be surprised? Right. He's calling a dead Roddy Piper on the phone. I mean, nothing surprises <laughs> me with Vince. I think that he realized by the end of the end of that, that he was like, I shouldn't have done that. That's why he said, Roddy's in heaven. He's not in hell. I think that yeah. he realized that that wasn't going to play well, but even then, if I were him, I'd be like, let's not use that. Let's right. let's pass on that. Right. With you and the sources and the wrestlers come to you, how do you build up the trust and like the credibility? How do you get to the point where you're at now? Well, I mean, it, looking back it, on, first off, don't make up shit. Never, ever, ever make up stuff. Sorry for the language. Um, 
Don't no make stuff up um, because there. if you want to be in this long term, there is no longevity in making things up. It is so easy to debunk news now. It is your one DM away from getting put out there as somebody who reports untrue stuff. So it's better to have no scoops than an incorrect one in, in my in my experience. A lot of it started out with me just interviewing anybody, everybody. I would try to reach out to different people. Uh, but when before Fightful, I reached out to Muhammad Hassan. I got his first interview uh, in like, I think it was like a decade at that point. Yeah. And that's, if you do something outside of the box, you might catch some people's eyes. Now, when I say catch some people's eyes, it was like catching a few thousand people's eyes as opposed to zero, which I was catching before then. Uh, being willing to put yourself on camera and stuff, stuff like that helps a lot as well. It's, it's far less anonymous. They can see who they're talking to, who they're talking with, going to shows and meeting these people and uh, having conversations with them has helped an awful lot as well. Um, I know there were some like EC3 said that he took a liking to me because I I'd done some wrestling in the past that helps a little bit. Although I, I did that basically. So I would have an idea of what I was doing and I wanted to learn more about wrestling so that that was one, but I was taking any interview that I could get in 2015, 2016 and showing these people that even though they weren't in WWE, I cared about their story and cared about what they were doing. And some of them, liked me enough to stick around and, and keep talking to me. And then there were times when I would just reach out to somebody cold and I'd be like, Hey, I heard this about you. I heard that you were injured, heard this happened backstage, heard you asked for your release, heard you're about to get signed. I would, you know, either congratulations. Is this true? That sucks. Let them know that I want their story accurately and uh, that that goes a long way with a lot of this, a lot of wrestlers in the business, because there are a whole lot of people that did come up to learn to dislike dirt sheets or dislike podcasts or interviewers or anything like that. And some that lump them all together with that negative connotation. So transparency and honesty, I think, is just really the most important part. Where did you train? That kind of interests me. Where did you kind of do some wrestling training? Maysville, Kentucky and Aberdeen, Ohio. And let me tell you, it was the, the, the third level Indies, the worst I'm talking like got a canvas, the riverbank for used syringes before we run a show. So the kids don't step on them type of stuff. Like it was there. I did a uh, catch as catch can wrestling training at iron fish gym, uh, cracking fight team with Jay grooms and, uh, Brandon McLeese, who trained under Billy Robinson. And uh, I was able to learn a little bit from Billy Scott, which was nice. I was able to attend a seminar there. And then we transitioned that into to pro wrestling training. And I was able to learn that. And that sucked because it was in a boxing ring. And the boxers would get mad at us because we would tighten the ropes every time. And they want loose ropes. So you're taking bumps on a boxing ring. By the time I got in a wrestling ring, I was like, man, this is like a cloud. This feels awesome. Um, so that, that was how I, I kind of de developed that it, it spawned off of my MMA training and catch wrestling training to where I was like, Oh, you know what? I want to learn some pro wrestling and was able to learn, uh, transition the catch wrestling into pro wrestling training from some, I don't want to call them low level trainers, but they, they were pretty, pretty inexperienced indie guys that I was training with at the time before I was able to go learn from other people. 
man, those boxing rings suck too. The boards are hard as yeah. hell. I mean, though they're not good to bump. <laughs> not even supposed to bump on them, really. No, you're not supposed to bump on yeah. them at all. So that's where you would develop, like you would develop your corner work. So you'd be in the corner, you'd work out of those an awful lot. Uh, the ropes were a little bit more forgiving when you would like hot shot somebody or something, but you'd really rely on like knee bumps and three quarter rolls. So we would do a lot of the things that we learned in catch wrestling class, like double wrist lock throws and, and hip throws and things like that, that we were used to taking on like zebra mats on concrete floors in general. So then when they were like, hey, you want to learn some pro wrestling? Okay. Uh, we were able to transition most of that in there because one of the ways we were taught was if you learn to work without ropes, you'll, you'll be, you'll be way better off when you do have them because you won't rely on them. Right. So, uh, it sucked. I've still got some bumps and bruises from, from, from doing that, but I wouldn't have had it any other way because I was able to learn so many different things at once from like kickboxing, MMA, catch wrestling, and pro wrestling that I, I've, I really like that, especially for what I would do with Fightful, which is really blending all those. I think it makes it easier for you not only cover it, but talk about it when you're doing your review shows. Having been in the ring, like you kind of not that you have the experience of like the veterans, but of you kind of know yeah. what's going on. Yeah, it did. It that, That's why I wanted to learn it, too. And I still do it here and there. I was supposed to have a match last year before the pandemic, but the pandemic hit. And obviously wrestling isn't buttering my bread right now i don't i don't accept money when i do wrestle if if so uh it's supposed to be donated to a, a charitable cause of some kind like i do that because i want to learn and i like to do it not because i, I want to get far in ring wrestling type of thing but i do think that it helps me a lot in in my analysis like breaking down holds and stuff like that like i still go into the gym pretty often and learn new holds and, and, or I'll, for example, I love watching Jonathan Gresham's training videos and then going into the gym being like, okay, can I pull this off? Can I pull this off? How does this look? Um, how could I do this better? How can I make it look more like what he's doing type of thing? So I, I do think that helps a lot. You did some MMA training as well, right? I mean, you said you, yeah. you still do a bunch. I don't do much MMA training anymore. Uh, Pro wrestling training, I found is much easier on me because I've, I've got so many injuries. I had broken my neck. I had broken my collarbone. I didn't even know I broke my collarbone until years later when a doctor said, when did you break your collarbone? And I was like, well, I didn't know. They said, well, you do now. And I was like, okay, cool. Damn. But um, it was it was difficult. I had some balance issues due to some some vision stuff. But in MMA, people are working against you. If you say my knee's hurting, they're going after your knee. If it, you're training pro wrestling and somebody you tell somebody my knee's hurting, they'll be like, let's see how we can work around that knee. It's it's a lot easier with that. It's a lot easier to pace yourself. Uh, but for about three or four years, I did train MMA. Uh, for about two of that, it was full time. I wanted to pursue something in MMA for a while. And then I was like, nah, I'm, I'm getting hurt too much. Not really something I want to do. But uh, yeah, Iron Fish Gym in Maysville, Kentucky. We've spawned some some Bellator fighters and some amateur champions, and uh, now some some good pro fighters as well. Really love it there. That that was the foundation. Iron Fish Gym in Maysville was for everything that followed in wrestling and MMA after that for me. If I wouldn't have had that, I don't think that I'd ever have gotten into wrestling media even because it it was like a domino effect. And yeah, I, but I, I loved MMA training. Wish I would have started amateur wrestling and catch wrestling way sooner, though. 
with that, obviously Fightful, you guys cover MMA and pro wrestling. Do you enjoy the MMA side more or do you, you, you know, are you a big wrestling fan as well? Or is it kind of split in the middle 50, 50 pro wrestling by far? Um, I loathe Monday night raw. I can't stand it, but Awful. I would much rather be covering Monday night raw than working literally any other job. And the way that I've said it is nothing will make you a casual MMA fan quicker than covering MMA. <laughs> Cause I mean, how often do you, I mean, I complain about it. Seven hour WrestleMania, seven hour WrestleManias. Man, I wish it was shorter. That's every Saturday in the UFC. Yep. Seven hour show from the first prelim to the last last fight, maybe. And then you're waiting for the presser to start. And then the presser lasts an hour. And then you're tying up that every single Saturday. It's that and then some. Um, so I've, I've stepped away largely from the MMA side and I let, uh, other people cover that because I'm also so busy with the wrestling end, but I'll still do the watch alongs. I still do stats pieces. Um, uh, I'll still interview MMA fighters, uh, when, when applicable, like Bellator hits me up anytime Jake Hager's got a fight. Obviously that makes a lot of sense. They want the crossover audience. If I, if Dan Lambert is like, Hey, let's do an interview. I'll interview Dan Lambert. He's been on impact. He's. He's got a connection to a bunch of MMA fighters and wrestlers, but um, I I have enjoyed MMA so much more now that I don't have to watch every single fight every single week. It it's so much more digestible now. UFC 261 was one of the best shows I ever watched. From the start of me watching to the end was two hours, a bunch of finishes, a bunch of stuff that mattered. So yeah, I, I definitely lean more towards the pro wrestling side of things these days. Some of those prelims are way too long for UFC. Way too many oh, fights, yeah. right? I mean, it's just oh crazy. yeah, they don't need 13, 14 fights. It, when I would I would do commentary for amateur fights, they would sometimes have twenty, twenty one fights. Whoa! And it sounds a lot worse than what it is because it's in amateur one. You're not getting paid, and a lot of these people are having their first fight. In fact, probably 40 percent of them are. I can't tell you. The number of times I've been sitting at cage side and I see Rick Toms or some like really intense announcer say this person's name and they're like, and in this corner and they crap their pants. They're like, this is happening. This is happening. And the fight's over in 10 seconds. Like that happens all the time on the amateurs. If they even show up, if they even show up fight night. So they right. got to plan like 21 fights in case seven, eight fall out. So I'm used to that, but it goes so much quicker than a UFC fight night. I mean, I've done 18 fight night car or 18 fight cards that lasted two and a half, three hours. And the UFC takes seven hours to get through 12 or 13, but that's the content creation business, pal. Yeah. Oof. Man, it does some of those things. I just skip over the prelims sometimes. Yeah. That's why I like Bellator. And even when I went to Bellator a few times, I liked it because just in general, they had shorter prelims. And obviously, yeah. the main card isn't usually five fights, usually four. So yeah. that's why I like Bellator. I enjoy Bellator. Yeah. And uh, I think PFL and Kabate do, do pretty good at that sometimes. Like, And then people are just smartening up and they're realizing – yeah, I don't got to tune into these prelims anymore. I have not watched a single prelim fight since we hired an MMA editor, and I feel like I haven't missed a thing. I'll see the highlight on Twitter, and I'll be all right. 
feel like Bellator lately, like Lorenz Larkin's fighting in the prelims. Like, shit, now I got to watch the prelims. <laughs> like, got, like they, they, they're putting a, 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 what's his name, Mix is on the prelims. Like, they're putting some good guys yeah. in the prelims. Yeah, and Lorenz Larkin was a big signing for them, too. But, I mean, <laughs> one that's won, like, four fights in a row but hasn't fought in, in a long time. But, oh, man, yeah, I... I can go without watching the prelims, especially when you got shows like 261 that are just such a blast to watch. It was so much yep. fun. That was great. And then, you know, everyone who you expected win won, but they won in such kind of convincing manner. It was like, man, that was a lot of fun. Like I thought Oaksman would win, but definitely thought it was going to be much more of a, I don't know, but it's like the last fight, just unanimous decision, wrestle them to death and whatever. But yeah, that was, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. It was fantastic. They could not have picked a better show to return to crowds with. And I mean, yeah, I got my feelings on the safety of that crowd, but it was such, it was objectively a fun night. It was electric. I've never heard a crowd like that. Never heard a crowd react like they did with the Chris Weidman leg break. But oh, what a, what a fun night that was. Man, it was gross. Oh, man. It was. It was sick. It was very sick. And they were comparing it to when it happened with him against Anderson Silva, but this was way, way more gross because it broke and he like fell over it and fell. Yeah. Oh, he like, Ugh. it looked like he tried to step on it. Oh yeah. man. Even worse than the Anderson Silva one, I think I was like, and Oh man. I like the Anderson Silva one. Like you can look at some of those and see how it happened because if you don't turn your hips on your kicks, there's not a lot of force behind your kicks yep. and the shin will, will cause that break a little bit more. When I watched it back, I thought Weidman did a pretty good job turning his hip. Like this wasn't like Corey Hill or Anderson Silva. It was so different than the other ones that I've seen. Oh, uh, and it's like, man, these these happen in the UFC, and I haven't seen them happen anywhere else. It's wild. Three in the UFC. I've not seen one happen anywhere else. But then again, I don't exactly seek these out either. Yeah, they're kind of, kind of gross. I don't even know what the hell happened there. I, like, man, oh. just freakish. And weird. It's like, how yeah. the hell did that even happen? Nuts. Oh, so gross. Scary stuff. But with covering, you know, a lot of UFC stuff, do you have sources and stuff within UFC? Or like you said, you just leave that to your other guys and, and let them do it? Here and there. Um, not as much anymore because there's not a there's not a lot of backstage news to really be had. UFC and ESPN have Ariel Hawani and Brett Okamoto like in the bag like that's there mark Ramondi works for espn so if you're not there it's not very easy and there's not like a ton of backstage stories there that's why like in pitching things to my staff i'm like go find out what brian bowles or miguel torres are up to we'll we'll try to rely on that nostalgia content like hit up mark coleman or randy couture or somebody right and we can do something like that like i i honestly think that a Burt Watson podcast, kind of like the, the Bruce Pritchard looking back at retrospect by, backstage behind the scenes thing would do really well because it couldn't be a fighter like that, that did that because they're not at all the shows. Right. It would have to be a staff member or an executive or somebody who is around for those decisions. So there's just not a lot of backstage stuff and scoops to be had. Like um, I did around the time that Ariel Hawani had posted the Brock news that got him in trouble. I had heard that, but I couldn't, I couldn't double source it. And obviously he could, he's got a billion sources there. And other than that, I've broken like a couple of Bellator stories. Uh, other than that, like it's it just happening upon stuff. 
I don't lean heavily into asking MMA fighters like backstage stuff, really. Feels like pro wrestling is such a different animal that there is all this drama, all this gossip, more even so than Hollywood. Like there's just so much going on everywhere, right? I mean, it's such a different entity. Yeah, it is. Cause I mean, like what? Okay, for example, The Fiend and Seth Rollins, Hell in a Cell. I had people messaging me like crazy for that. But like, what am I going to ask about? Hey, what happened with Kamara Usman against Masvidal? What happened behind the scenes there? Uh, Masvidal talked some shit and got knocked out. That'd be the story. <laughs> That's the yeah. story. There's nothing more to it. Like, there's there's just not that much to go into it. Uh, and that's why I think that unique content creators on the MMA side are really going to explode because there's only so many times you can ask, how's your training camp going? Who are you training with? Et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't care one damn bit about how somebody's training camp is going. All due respect. I can watch a countdown video for that. I can watch UFC embedded and find out that. And I'm going to watch those because they're, they're more interesting. I want to find out unique stories and things that have happened. And yeah, you, you got to find the story. Even when there might not be one, you got to pull blood from a stone sometimes. Yes, man. Uh, there's just some things out there in MMA like that are great stories, but they're, you're right. They're like few and far between. I mean, go back all the way to like to Coleman and Takata, like, okay, yeah. did he, did he throw the fight? Like that's interesting. But then yes. what else is interesting out there? Like there's not much, you're right. There's not as much pro wrestling is nuts. It's, it's more the stories of the people behind, that are fighting than anything. Like I'm working on a video about Joe Sun right now. And I don't know if anybody knows him. If you ever watch Austin powers, you do. Cause or he's Dylan. the guy that threw the yeah. shoe. Yep. But also, he was a UFC fighter who was most famous for getting punched in the balls repeatedly by Keith Hackney. And everybody was like, oh my God, Keith Hackney's such a bad guy. No, apparently not, because years before that, Joe's son gang-raped a woman, and he's in prison for it, and in prison, killed his cellmate. So, I mean, there are stories behind these fighters, sometimes not good fighters, but right. look at Dustin Poirier. I mean, he got on... He got on the map for a lot of people because of a documentary about how interesting he is and his upbringing and all that. And John Jones and Conor McGregor say what you want about them being controversial, but controversy draws the numbers a lot of times. And that that's just the way it works. The, the really, the big exception to that is George St. Pierre. He was, he was not the most exciting guy in the cage outside the cage, but people were just like, damn, I want to see him because he's that good. Yeah, so athletic. Yeah. Got the people. Had some quiet, like, charisma about him. Like, you're a terrible trash talker. <laughs> like, when he would try to cut those, you know, <laughs> obviously they were trying to force it out of him. And he's just like, I'm going to kill Jake Shields. It's like, it's like trying to force something that's not there. The I am not impressed with your performance is a good one, though. Yes, that one, yeah. That one was solid, but yeah. it was it was like a two on the, the scale of everybody else. Like, it's when so Brock boring. was in MMA. When Brock was in MMA, he was one of the most charismatic people. So people were shocked that it didn't carry over into wrestling. And I was like, well, it's not that he's not charismatic. He is, but just on the pro wrestling scale, you got to be up here. On the MMA scale, you got to be down here. Brock was like right there. <laughs> yeah. And he would be able to do stuff like cut that promo on Heath Herring and Frank Mir. And it was great. In wrestling, would it have been? Well, that's not a traditional pro wrestling promo, but in MMA, oh, it was gold. 
screw Coors Light. I'm having Miller Light or whatever that yeah. awesome promo was too. That was <laughs> saying great. that he was going to get on top of Sable. <laughs> yep. uh, saying I took that horseshoe out of his ass and beat him over the head with it. Like that was good stuff. But you can't have fight night promos in WWE because they they want their their way and they want it scripted. His best thing at WB was when Heyman's like talking and then they ask him a question. He goes, I don't know. He goes, say something stupid, Paul. And then he like walked <laughs> off. I love it. I love it. He's, I don't know, he's got to come back. Any, any news on him? Is he headed back WB? It seems like SummerSlam against Lashley next year against Reigns at Mania. I mean, is there any rumors out there with the uh, Brock? No, uh, when I had reached out last fall, I was told, ah, this happens every year. It's just taking a little bit longer this year. And then when WrestleMania happened, I was told, ah, there's not really been any conversation or contact that most people backstage have heard of. Now, obviously, if Vince calls Brock, he ain't going to run and tell somebody that. Right. So I, I had just been told that there weren't really many conversations. Just to me, it seems like, okay you're going to start bringing like live crowds back into it. You're going to need a big name, right? Or maybe a couple big names. Yeah. I, I thought I was so surprised that Cena, Brock, Becky, Ronda, which now we know why Ronda wasn't there. I was surprised. None of them were at WrestleMania. Do you know why Nick Khan said that Ronda was coming back? And then like a day later, she's pregnant. She's not going to be back for a year. Well, a lot of people misread that quote. He had said that Becky will return in the not too distant future. And he said that, that um, Ronda Rousey will return at some point. Oh, so, I must have gotten them. Well, I mean, a lot of people did. A lot of people did. So, I mean, that's just the way that so many of the headlines were, were kind of framed in that regard. I'll check the quote to make sure, but yeah. Okay, he said, Ronda's going to be coming back at a certain point in time. Becky Lynch, she just had her first baby. She'll be coming back at a certain point in time in the not-too-distant future. So I don't know if they knew at that point, but I get the feeling they probably reached out to Ronda and said, hey, what's up? And she let them know. Why not have Becky, uh, maybe Lesnar, Cena, who probably could have been there, why not have those guys at Mania? Even Taker, I know probably wouldn't make sense, but... I have some more names. Why didn't they, why do they want to go with the guys that they have rather than bringing any stars of all years, right? Like of all years to not rely on that. It was this year when you probably needed to reinvigorate that fan base. Um, I had heard that they wanted to do something with Becky. I don't know why it didn't happen or why it didn't come together, but Becky coming out and putting Bailey in a disarm her would have been so much better than what they did. And poor Bailey, was left off that card and given really nothing. So I thought that she was the one of the biggest um, the biggest victims in that situation. But I really wish they could have. I'm okay with them moving towards current stars. It's just their track record had been not that. And, and yeah. Goldberg Goldberg still has a match on his contract for this year as well. He's got two next year. So um, maybe they're waiting for fans for him too. To me, it's like, wow, of all years, like when you need some star power infused in there, I don't think people would have minded if you had the part-timers show up for this one. Yeah, especially for something harmless like that. Like Bailey getting put into Disarmor, that's nothing. That's just right. fun. And maybe a five, seven-minute segment, that's a wrap, and and you, you make sure people are happy. Yeah. To me, it's like, wow, I, like where is, you know, I, I get seen as filming a movie, but where is Lesnar? Where is this guy? Where is Goldberg? It's just to yeah. me, it's like, I know Reigns and you have Edge back and I know Reigns is the top guy, but you need, you know, something else there, especially when you're trying to sell out two nights in a row. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, I, they, they claimed that they had a couple of sellouts. I don't know, but um, I mean, it's, it's hard to like <laughs> just take them for face value with attendance and stuff, but also man, not having fans in the follow-up has been just, it's, it's hurt for me after having that, that night one be so electric. Yeah. So you, you put that out there on Twitter. Like I uh, can't wait till tomorrow when I'm disappointed that there's no fans. I'm like, yeah. that is so true. Like what a disappointment the day after it didn't feel like that raw after where, you know, the crowd is nuts and everybody's hyped just had no flow and no feeling to it. Especially considering for so long it was built as like, Oh, this is a special night after WrestleMania. And even, the week after WrestleMania was built as like a special night, but we still haven't seen a SmackDown after mania in front of crowds since they moved to Fridays because both of them have been uh, at the performance center or the Thunderdome since they moved yep. to Fox. What do you think about reigns on SmackDown and his run and how he's doing? seems like rating wise, he's keeping up. What do you think about, you know, how they're booking him and, and how the challengers are being booked against him? I love how Roman Reigns is being booked. He is the guy they always wanted him to be. And now he is playing the role that so many of us wanted him to play six years ago. He should have been doing this. And I'm sure he would have loved to have done that. But WWE Vince McMahon specifically was very bullheaded on it. And I, I really felt like they compromised and sacrificed an awful lot of talent trying to make him something that wasn't working. And now, despite Roman Reigns being a wonderful guy, like Joe Anawaii being a wonderful guy, this is effortless for him. And WWE has been really, really bad at building top baby faces for a long time. Look at Rhea Ripley. Look at Drew McIntyre. They build them as these people who go on a war path and they kick all this ass and then they win that title and they turn into stand-up comedians and make little jokes and smile and hee-hee-hee. And that's okay to do sometimes. Austin made jokes. The Rock made jokes. But if it doesn't fit the profile of that person, it doesn't necessarily work. So I think that right now, I put Roman in the same boat as Walter. People are like, oh, who's the person to beat him? I'm like, I don't know. They don't exist right now until they pop up and there's somebody so undeniably good that you're like, I got to get this title off of them. Then I would have Roman Reigns just keep running things. Because that story is so interesting, and the longer he's got it and the bigger reign of terror that he's on, the more impact it will make when somebody does beat him, whoever it is. And you better make sure it's a right guy that you know you're going to book really well. Because as we've seen in the past, John, WWE would rather take people off TV than book them when they're not ready for them. Look at Bianca Belair and AOP. They called them up. They put them on Raw a few times, and they're like, well, what are we doing with them? Because they're not getting the title yet, so they just take them off TV completely. Yep. Because it's like, oh, well, you can't possibly just have them win matches every week. Roman Reigns is winning matches. He's having interesting stories, and that's, that's the basics of pro wrestling. We want to see people that win, and we want to see people with interesting stories. Anybody that says wins and losses don't matter, look at Roman Reigns. It seems like it's mattering an awful lot to that guy, and it's working really well. Yeah. To me, you got to have Rock come back, be the big cousin, bully him around, or, or you perceive him as almost going to bully him around, and then Reigns should beat him too. Uh, to me, yes. it's like that, like that's the that is what I want to see, whether it's Hollywood or Dallas. 
So I, th- I one, I think it should be Dallas because they, you know, that after the pandemic, they want to say, "Oh, we got a hundred and two thousand yep. after the yep. pandemic." That you can show it in all the documentaries, however the hell you want. I actually think Roman Reigns should lose the title heading into that, and The Rock should be the reason that that happens because. The only thing on SmackDown more important than the universal title is being head of the table of that family right now. And The Rock has been the head of the table of that family for two decades now. And I think that's what they should compete for. Who is the head of the table of that family? The same family that had Umaga uh, in, in a big time WrestleMania match. The same family that had Yokozuna main eventing WrestleMania matches. The same family with just so many historic wrestlers who is the head of that table reigns and the rock. And I, I don't even think, I think Reigns should almost be dismissive of the rock. Like, yeah, old man. Sure. And then, then he gets the title. The, the title gets dropped as a result of the rock. You've got a, a champion and then you've got this big match. So you maximize the stakes on your show as well. Because if you're trying to cram in 103,000 post pandemic, you need to add everything you can to that. And The Rock would help immensely. I mean, yep. He would draw a big house himself with people that would be interested in seeing him make a return. I think they should be doing Rock and uh, Roman. I think they should be doing uh, Horsewomen four-way. I think they should, uh, and whether that's for a title or not, I don't know. But you need to do universal title, world title, like m- make as much stuff on this show matter. And it might be over two nights. Like y- You don't know what they're even going to do yet. It is interesting that years ago they talked about Rock and Reigns and nobody was interested. Now Rock is not really around and they're like super interested. It's funny how it flips. Even when people are like tired of Lesnar Reigns, now all I hear is fans saying that they want to see that match. Like, well, they already had technically had two Mania main events that you weren't that into. Now you're really into it because you're so invested in Reigns as, as that character. Yeah, he's done so well with it. Uh, Paul Heyman has done really well. J- uh, Jay Uso has done great. I hope that them bring back Jimmy Uso, reinvigorate the tag team division, whenever that may be, because they they need help on SmackDown in that regard. But El, there were so many people that for years, oh, you're just a Reigns hater, you're a WWE hater. No, I don't like bad storylines and bad characters, and that was a bad storyline and a bad character. And now it's not. Now he's great. Excellent, excellent stuff. And I was following you. You said that Jimmy, I forget how long he'd been out. Was it? 12 months or 13? That's how long he's been out? 13 months since uh, WrestleMania oh 36. God. Yeah. What the, the hell's going on with him? I don't know. I keep trying to find out, and I just keep being told soon, soon, soon. But I was told soon in February, so I don't know what's going on there. Which, was, those knee injuries, injury? I, I think it was an ACL, I okay. think. I don't want to, don't quote me on that. But, I mean, we've seen ACLs not take. Look at Dominic Cruz. He, he. His knee was never quite the same after that. Yeah. We saw uh, Jinder Mahal had a knee injury, and it didn't take quite well, and he was out for a while. Uh, I mean, he was off TV pretty much for two years before he just came back recently. Um, so, but maybe like five appearances over those two years, but that's because his he was battling knee injuries. The greatest WWE champion of all time, Jinder Mahal. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, somebody had an awesome meme out there. Rhea Ripley was crying. Did you see that? She no. was crying. So she's crying. It's that mania during when everyone's out there. With yeah, me. yeah. She's crying, and then he's behind her, and then it says, 
wow, Rhea Ripley is so emotional because she's standing next to the greatest <laughs> WWE champion of all time. I love it. I thought he got a raw deal when he was booked that way. They did him no favors. They yeah. did that as as hastily and as lazy as possible. I was actually very excited for him to come back uh, to TV in 2020 because I thought there was a good like five six week program for him and Drew McIntyre. Oh because, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, he's a former champion. Now I know they made him a jobber after that, but he he was a year removed from being a jobber. He hadn't been on TV in forever. He came back looking great. All you got to do is have him win some matches. And then say, hey, Drew, buddy, I've been there. We've got history. Tell that story five or six weeks. Do the match on Raw as a big main event. And then move on. And I thought that was a, a natural story to tell, an easy one to tell. But uh, they had to go plan B and go with Dolph Ziggler because gender got hurt. Yep. Yeah, I felt like even that Seamus feud that just happened, like, oh, that could have been gender. Not right then and there, but yeah, could have been gender a few months earlier and you know, plug and play a little bit instead of stretching out that, that Orton feud for six months. Yeah. And I think that if, or I think people would look back at Drew's reign a lot different. Had Orton won the title at SummerSlam when he was white hot and had been killing everybody, that would have been something, but they waited until like the third title match that Orton had, had him win it. And then they got to run it back again. Of course they waited until Orton had cooled off to put the title on him instead of doing it when he was white hot. So wild. Made no sense to the way it was booked. So uh, McIntyre won a fluky win at SummerSlam. Then the guys that all Orton beat up basically helped uh, McIntyre cheat and, and beat Orton. And then when they're in a cage match one-on-one where nobody can interfere, Orton wins. I was like, what a weird way to book. It was very weird. It was so weird. Do you ever get any intel like on like booking and how it's done and, and yeah. like the committee? So what's kind of your just overall take of it? Is it people that just don't care? Is it they think they're doing a good Vince. job? And it's, oh, Vince. it's all Vince. Oh, it's all Vince. It's okay. Vince. And I mean, a lot of times the writers don't speak directly with Vince for a lot of these pitches anymore. It wow. is through Bruce. Um and then it's filtered to Vince. Now, I mean, that, it still happens plenty, but uh, actually, I was working on a story. I'm gonna, I'm still trying to shore up some things about it, but ultimately, it comes on to Vince and what he does and doesn't want to do. And if he, I mean, I, I hear constant stories about him showing up two hours late to creative meetings and then changing everything. WrestleMania, after WrestleMania, was supposed to be way different. Riddle and Sheamus were supposed to keep feuding. Braun was supposed to be in the title picture, but it was supposed to just be him at the time. Um, Orton was supposed to not be around, I think. And now that's changed. They moved Riddle out of that feud. They they brought up Mansoor and Humberto to, to fill in for for the ri- original Riddle spot. That every like the Tetris pieces had to all move around there. And it's just it all comes down to one guy. If one guy decides we're going to put more of an effort in, we're going to do more things fresh then more things happen. And I mean, Bruce has to be a little bit responsible too because he's he's the right-hand man. He's the guy that's saying, oh, this is good or this is this sucks. But I mean, when I hear that talent were, were not given any direction for The Fiend and Randy Orton at any point throughout that entire story until the Friday before WrestleMania, and that tells me all I need to know, that it's yep. it's just it's not motivated at all. 
weird stuff going on over there always like that whole feud was weird who's the heel who's the face what's going on with bliss obviously she's not gonna wrestle the fiend so is she bringing somebody in to feud him like what the hell's going on with that feud right it's all over the place helter skelter it, it's way all over the place and i'm okay with not even knowing who the face and heel was I, i'm okay with shade the gray it's just it my my fears were realized when i was told oh yeah talent had no clue what was going on there never good <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Alexa Bliss has been involved in this story. She's wrestled like eight matches since last August. Like they're, they're not, she, okay. She's swinging on a swing set. We get it. Like, okay. I wish you all would, would let the slow burn happen on so many other things, but I guess not. Yeah. Crazy. But as we hit the wind down, head towards the finish, just gotta ask you, what's what's like your favorite show right now, wrestling wise, to watch that's not a chore, that's not a pain in the <laughs> ass, you know what I mean? Like that you actually enjoy. AEW Dynamite for sure. And I know I risk people saying, AEW shill, you're you're getting paid by AEW. No, I like it because it's a cohesive show. Wins and losses matter. So even the matches that typically shouldn't matter, they do. Like if I'm throwing on AEW Dark Elevation. And somebody's got six wins in a row. I can probably expect them to pop up in the rankings, or they're going to pop up on Dynamite soon. They might lose on Dynamite, but they're probably going to pop up over there. That is by far the easiest to me. Other than that, uh, MLW is doing really good stuff. I, I like them and SmackDown because any show that Roman Reigns is on right now is worth me watching. And he's been great. He completely changed the just yeah. the narrative of his whole career, if you think about it. I mean, everything has changed with him. Now everybody loves him. He's incredible. He's to me, he's the best character on pro wrestling TV right now. If the rest of the show was better, if I didn't have to watch 74 Street Profits, Ziggler and Rude matches, and watch Nia and Reginald do stuff all the time, I would be over the moon with that show. But man, Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, Jay Uso, they're killing it right now. Think about just Reigns, like WrestleMania 34. You're like, man, this guy main evented four manias. Now it's you know WrestleMania 37. Wow, this guy main evented five manias. He should main event more. But if, yeah. if he said that a couple years ago, you'd be like, I can't believe that's bullshit. He shouldn't main event anymore. Like do now, think, it's like, do you he think he'll? Do you think he'll reach Hogan? I think Hogan's got like eight, and I think Triple H has seven or or something like that. Yep. Um, do you think he'll reach Hogan? Reigns, yes, I, I think yeah. easily because he's got to be Dallas. He's got to be Hollywood. I feel like just he's, I don't know, just his momentum. I can't see him not made of anything. And then you figure maybe he might not after that, but then there's going to be somebody's going to pop up and he's going to be the veteran against the young guy. I just think he's going to at least tie Hogan uh, as far as that. But I Hogan, hope so. also, Hogan also co evented a bunch of them too. So that, that's true. That's true. He did. And it just, it's funny to think like, wow, where Reigns has come. Yeah. <laughs> just by I mean, being himself. Like who, who knew? Just be yourself. And having that creative freedom and also having Paul Heyman help you with your creative, that works a lot too. Yeah, that, that doesn't hurt. Uh, doesn't hurt at all. <laughs> as far as Fightful, I know you guys are credentialed everywhere. You cover everything. Yeah. You guys are slowly but surely creeping up and I think everybody's kind of favorite uh, MMA and, of course, wrestling site. So tell us the, you know, the latest on what's going on with Fightful. I mean, we, we've got so many different methods of which we do things. There's Fightful.com that covers wrestling, MMA, combat sports. Uh, if you just like pro wrestling, we got FightfulWrestling.com. Uh, we do post shows after everything, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW. Those are on YouTube.com slash Fightful, podcast platforms everywhere. But 
Uh, we, I, I used to be so against the paywall thing. I hated it. I want us to be a free wrestling site, but fightfulselect.com right now it's on a Patreon platform. We're working on eventually getting it integrated into the website, but that's a long ways off. But the, the way that it, it's had a domino effect in that it has supported our staff more. We've been able to pay our staff better. They're able to work more as a result. As a result of that, I'm able to get scoops more. It's been a real domino effect, and um, that's that's the best way that people can support us is FightfulSelect.com. We do seven shows there a week in addition to the things I already mentioned, and I'm posting exclusive news there every single day. I got a Q&A every week. Uh, I do a, a show called The Backstage Report over there every week where it's like 15, 20 minutes of just exclusive news, injury updates, contract updates. So we're, we're trying a lot of things that are, that are different, and I know that we're we're newer than a lot of the the standard sources in which a lot of people um, are, are used to. But you'd be hard pressed to find somebody say that fightful story was fake. That fightful story isn't true. Uh, so I, I definitely encourage everybody to check it out. I think you'll like what we got going on over there. It's smart to go behind the paywall because so many other sites copy and paste you. So guess what? You got to pay yeah. if you want to copy and paste us from going forward, right? I mean that's smart yeah. I hear from a lot of people that are like, well, we know that people do that, but we do it just, we subscribe just to support you anyway. And man, that's so flattering that people are just willing to plop down a few bucks a month to support us and support our writers. We ain't getting rich doing this. I'll tell you that much. Fightful operates at cost, basically. My, the owner of Fightful is a very well off fella who, who's done well in other business ventures. And he just wanted to change the way that things were done in wrestling media. And I think I think he's helped do that an awful lot. And if we make a nickel on Fightful, he's like, how can we reinvest this nickel? Who deserves more money? Who deserves, who should we bring on? Something like that. And man, that's perfect for me because it lets me do things my way and not compromise. And anytime somebody says, oh, you're not being a professional journalist, aren't you supposed to? No, I'm supposed to do it the way that our outlet wants to do it. And yep. the way that we want to do it is working out really well. And I hope that people are liking it. Awesome stuff. Just one final thing for me, because I'm always amazed at it. How the hell do you say so positive? You're a very positive guy. <laughs> well, there are some people that don't think so. They think that I hate everything WWE, but I got like the best job ever, man. I get to work right now at my house. It was a pandemic proof job. I get to learn about wrestling from like dozens of the people in the world who know it more than anybody uh, i've got a really really cool job and yeah you know, occasionally i dunk on some twitter dorks I, only if they're mean to me first i won't be mean right. to somebody first right. if they're mean or, or rude first then i will but the positive is so like it outweighs the negative so much like there's so many thousands of people that i get to hang out and talk to about wrestling and i get to find out stuff and then tell them and then I get like I get to learn more as a result. Like nothing, nothing beats that to me. Like I get to watch wrestling and talk about wrestling for a living. So I mean, it's it's pretty easy to be happy in that regard. Nice, love it. And did you say where everybody can get you on Twitter for for your personal account? Yeah, at Sean Ross Sap. You can also follow at Fightful Wrestle. That Twitter handle might change soon, but you can always follow at Fightful, and that will. Uh, get you whatever you need. We're on Facebook. I'm trying to grow that really hard. Facebook.com slash Fightful Online. We have not broken through on there yet like I would like, but we got a Twitch, twitch.tv slash Fightful Gaming. 
Uh, lots of weird stuff happening over there, but we, we got platforms all over the place, man. Nice. You guys are doing a great job, and you especially are, you know, the king of the castle over there. So you're doing a great job, and uh, keep up all the good work. Thank you so much for Man, all the time. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you having me on. You're, you're, I, I've always admired what you guys have done, and like, I can't count the number of times I've seen a transcript come through from you guys, and I'm like, <laughs> I wish I would have gotten that interview like yeah. <laughs> dozens and <laughs> dozens of times. I think you guys are some of the, the most well connected people in the business and I, i've always loved what you guys uh, do and i don't do as many of these like interviews and appearances but when when you asked me i was like oh i gotta do that i gotta do that yeah thank you appreciate that i know i should i wanted to get you on earlier and it just it wasn't with me i was just like oh, i got too much shit going on but i was like i gotta get sean on i gotta get him on so <laughs> really appreciate you guys, especially all the time i really appreciate that i i appreciate you it was very flattering and uh hope you'll have me back in the in the future sometime Absolutely. Sean of Fightful, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. <laughs>